I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. When Jenny Krepp's husband, Drew, came into a little family money a few years ago, he considered all the different ways he might spend it. Drew has an office in our basement. Essentially, one whole wall is a whiteboard. So he had written, like, dad's money in the circle, put a big circle around it. And then it had little, like, extensions coming out of the circle with all kinds of ideas, like family vacation with a big X through it, investing in a friend's startup, X, putting a little bit towards student loans, X. There was like a really cool hiking trip with our son. That was a big X. And then ball pit with like a big circle around it. Like this was clearly of all the (laughs) choices, the big winner. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. everyone. It's so good to be back with you for season four. I hope you're all hanging in there. I know it's been a really hard stretch for a lot of people. For me, I can say that good love stories have been a real source of comfort and distraction these past few months. I have read so many Regency romance novels that I know exactly how many layers of clothing you had to take off to get naked with someone in the early 1800s. And the answer is many. On season four of Love Letters, We'll hear a lot about romance at all different times in life. Our theme this season is At Any Age, stories about the most important love and relationship lessons people have learned and the age they were when they learned them. Some stories are very age-specific, but most of the lessons are universal. I'm going to start by telling you a story about love and marriage and learning to accept your partner for who they are, even if you're scared to jump all the way in. It's the story of my friend Jenny and her husband Drew, and a childhood fantasy made real. My name is Jenny Krepp. I'm a 43-year-old psychologist that lives outside of Baltimore, Maryland, with my husband and four kids. And can you describe how we know each other? So Meredith and I went to middle school and high school together. Jenny and I reconnected as adults when she came to Boston for a psychology internship. She was in her mid-20s and was going through a difficult breakup at the time, as was another close friend of mine. I remember them commiserating on my couch. It gave me this idea of starting a breakup hotel where newly dumped people could stay and get over it together. I think that I went on a food review with you and I was still very sad 
and was like pretty much crying into my food and eating sad desserts, but it was really yummy. Fast forward a bit, and Jenny's love life takes a good turn in an unexpected way. She moves back to Baltimore and buys an old row house that needs some work. I was having a really hard time finding somebody to come and do the work. And I had a coworker who said she had a guy. She gave me his number. And the guy came to my house and ended up doing pretty substantial work. Several nights a week, he'd be over working on renovating my bathroom and putting in a new roof and deck and all these kinds of things. And I would, you know, kind of like follow him around the house while he was working. Jenny had been dating someone in Baltimore, but the relationship isn't working and it's coming to an end. Little does she know, her handyman's marriage is also ending. He was like living on a sailboat. He was writing a novel. He liked all the same quirky movies that I liked and liked all the same kind of music that I liked. I started having to go to, like, Lowe's with him to start picking some things out that actually were more, like, decorative for the bathroom. And that started to feel kind of, like, more date-like slash friend-like. And at some point, he was like, you know I like you, right? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. So (laughs) he was the first person to actually, like, say it. But I think I was the first person that thought he was cute. If you look at our relationship timeline on paper, it's like everything you would say not to do. I ended a five-year relationship and he was ending a marriage. And then not terribly long after all of that, we started dating. So life moves fast for Jenny and Drew. They get married She's six weeks pregnant at the wedding, so they have one kid right off the bat. Then, within a few years, they have another. This is where things get difficult. Drew, who's a writer, decides he wants to start a master's program out of state. Jenny doesn't love this idea, but she supports him. He winds up studying in North Carolina, traveling home every other weekend to see the family. Jenny's working while caring for the kids. It's hectic, and they just get through it, doing their best to raise two kids from two places while respecting each other's career goals. Finally, just as Drew is finishing his degree and things seem to be calming down, they get a surprise. Jenny is pregnant again, and this time, it's twins. Suddenly, two kids becomes four. And also my dad had died in there. So our relationship has been kind of intense from the beginning. So we got married very quickly and then like had a series of major life events happen. So even the whole him going to grad school for writing far away, you know, it speaks to two people's personalities, right? That you were like, I've got this at home. And he was like, I'll see you on the weekends, right? Drew actually calls me the Toyota Corolla of the relationship because I love to be stable and steady and have everything sort of by the checklist, you know? So like, we do this at this time, we do this at that time. And he's definitely more kind of focused on having fun, doing things that sort of make his life meaningful, doing the thing that makes sense for him in his life at that moment. 
One of their first priorities is to move to a bigger house to fit all of the kids. It's a lot further out in a rural, more affordable area of Maryland. At one point, Jenny gets the flu and winds up in bed. When she wakes up, she gets some news. Drew had just turned 40 and I was about to be 40. And Drew's dad, during that period of time, had just sold his veterinary practice and so had decided to give like a little bit of, of sort of like fun money to each of the kids to do what they wanted with it. They could go on a vacation, they could put it towards the family expenses, but something that, you know, was just meant for the kids to have. Drew had decided that he wanted to spend it on a ball pit. Let me just pause here for a second. When Jenny says ball pit, she means the kind of thing you'd see at a Chuck E. Cheese or McDonald's play area. Drew is determined to take the money from his dad and use it to build a ball pit in their home. Not for the kids, for him. I should also mention that he wants a large ball pit. After all, he is over six feet tall. I will say that throughout our relationship, there have been lots of times where Drew would kind of say, like, wouldn't it be awesome if that, like, completely empty swimming pool was full of balls and it was a ball pit. <laughs> or like, like like any hole in the like any cavernous space. If you go into IKEA at the start of the store, you can kind of like drop your kids off and there's like a ball pit to the side and he'd kind of look at it and be like, "Oh man, like I really want to go in that ball pit." I just thought it was sort of like a thing that people say kind of like I would really love to have a condo in several different locations that we really liked and we could just go to those condos whenever we felt like it. But apparently he really meant he wanted a ball pit. So Jenny and Drew are heading into their 40s. They've got four young children and all of these expenses. And Drew decides, rather unilaterally, that he needs to build a personal sanctuary of little plastic balls. This, at first, is hard for Jenny to accept. It's not what I would choose to spend money on. It felt like half a joke, but I knew that it wasn't a joke. And I also knew there was no um, standing in the way of it. Like, I knew the ball pit was going to happen. And I had some concerns. So wait, so you you immediately accepted defeat on the ball pit? The initial questions that I kind of had about where is this going? How big is this thing? How much is this going to cost? How many times would you actually go into a ball pit? Like, would you really go into it all the time? And he was like, you're like a dream killer. You know, like poo-pooing the idea of this ball pit in our house. I hear this and I kind of get his point. When I turned 30, I spent almost $1,000 on a cotton candy machine. It's a big one, like the kind you'd see in a carnival. It was my lifelong dream to own a cotton candy machine, and my mom helped me pay for it. And when I finally got it, I felt complete. And when I was going to do it, my friends and family said to me, how much cotton candy would you actually eat? As it turned out, I ate a lot of cotton candy. Um, (laughs) uh, And, you know, those friends weren't making fun of me when they were suddenly asking me to make cotton candy for their kids' birthday parties. Then they liked it a whole lot, right? But those seemed like perfectly rational questions. Did he have answers for them? It was very much like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine kind of a thing. Like, don't be so serious. 
You know, part of his rationale was that it was in his home office. So like, who was it hurting? It was going to be in his space anyway, in a room that's sort of designated for him anyway. I started sort of like researching ball pits in houses. There's not a lot out there. And then I had seen there was like some art installations that included ball pits that had sort of like a classy look, like all white balls. And I was like, well, can it be one color? Can we just have like a one color kind of a ball pit? And he was like, why are you trying to class it up? It's just a ball pit. Like, no, it's going to have all the different color balls. That's what ball pits look like. The good news is Drew is handy. So he knows how to build this himself. What did you think it would cost? I knew it was going to be kind of pricey because at one point, as sort of like a birthday joke, I had thought about, we have like a jacuzzi tub. And I thought that would be funny to put a bunch of balls in it and have it be a little ball pit. And it was so expensive to even fill up a jacuzzi tub that it was like not worth it for the joke of it. Wait, wait, give me like (laughs) how much per ball? A hundred balls is going to be like probably like 15 to 20 something dollars. But it turns out every ball pit ball is not made equal. We've accumulated a lot of different kinds of balls because this was like a big process. And like the really cheap ones like smell toxic, like you wouldn't want to have them in your house. So you really have to get the high end ball pit balls to make it worthwhile. So, okay, give me the dimensions. Tell me the process and what it looks like. I believe it's nine feet long by five feet wide and about four feet deep, but I feel like he wants to add more to that. Starting in the summer of 2018, Drew begins construction on the ball pit. Every once in a while, I would like intercept an Amazon box full of balls or something, or like the kids would be walking around with ball pit balls. But I didn't realize the extent of it until one of our daughters at one point was like, do you want to see where daddy keeps his balls? And she led me to a closet in our basement that you wouldn't necessarily ever go in because it's just like a random storage closet that has like, I don't know, like electrical things in it. It was filled with balls, all kinds of balls. We'll be back with more balls in a quick minute. Okay, we're back. At this point, Jenny has come to a kind of acceptance. The ball pit is happening. What Drew eventually constructs is probably best described as a lap lane full of balls. It's big enough for him to fully submerge in. It took him through the fall of 2019 to get through the work. In the final month or so of the ball pit construction, I can't even describe the number of enormous boxes that sort of filled up our house filled with these ball pit balls. There was probably like, 30 huge boxes of ball pit balls. So on the final day when it was done, it was like a big family affair where he stood in the ball pit and we just all poured the balls into the ball pit while he was like celebrating this joyous occasion. (laughs) It was 12,000 balls. Holy shit. (laughs) That's so many balls. (laughs) If you're a kid, how are you processing that? (laughs) I think they think it's fantastic and that it's normal because they don't know any better. So 
to them, it doesn't seem so weird to have a ball pit in your house. <laughs> Are you willing to say how much it costs by the end of it? I don't know exactly how much it costs, but I know that it was probably a few thousand dollars when all was said and done. So, like, you're a mental health professional, yes. right? Like, mm-hmm. you're, a, you're a doctor yes. of that. Yeah. From your professional standpoint, what were some of the questions that you had or, or conclusions you might have come to when it comes to that specific desire? I think because he had always talked about a ball pit as something that he wanted one day, much in the same way that I always talk about, like, I would love to have like a Shetland pony that like lived in my house and I could name Cupcake and have it like roam around freely, but not in a way that I would actually do it. When he brought it up, I kind of knew that this was like something that was going to bring him like great happiness and joy. But like, is there something to the psychology of being submerged in something and floating like that? I do think that it's like a sensory deprivation kind of a thing. To me, it feels super claustrophobic because it's very deep. So you actually sink to the bottom of it. If you're like sitting in there, you're covered by all the ball pit balls. If you're at the bottom of the ball pit and you've sunk to the bottom, can you breathe? You can, but... It's terrifying if it's something that freaks you out. So for me. With the wisdom of middle age, Jenny realizes that this ball pit was going to make her life partner very, very happy. For Drew, she says, the ball pit was self-care. And self-care looks different to different people. At 40 years old, this is what he needed. Some people might want to take a grand vacation or to change careers or pick up and move to a new city. The ball pit was going to make Drew a better version of himself as a husband and a dad, as a person with his own interior life. I give Jenny credit for being able to understand that. In some ways, I think that was sort of like a sign of like, I've I've made it. I'm like, here, I'm at this place where I can do this. You know, as a spouse, I'm just glad it wasn't like an affair or something else that it could have been. (laughs) Like, at the end of the day, like... It's just a ball pit that's in our house. And listen, as Jenny's friend, Drew's whole splurge was a little hard for me to accept. But here's something I also love about the lesson in the story. The guy who wants a ball pit and actually builds it also encourages Jenny to practice her own self-care. Drew teaches her that sometimes you just got to live a little. Forever on my Christmas list, I would say I wanted an orange cat. (laughs) I just always wanted an orange cat. And a few months ago, he was like, you know, that's like a really achievable goal for a woman in her 40s to get an orange cat. And so like a few weeks later, we went and we got an orange cat from PetSmart. We have gone on some pretty cool vacations that I think I could have easily talked myself out of. But he was always the person that was like, just say yes, just do it. Let's just do it. And I always noticed like, you know, my son was filling out for school a timeline of important events that had happened. And it's always the fun stuff that gets on the list. That really is where the living happens, I think. And like where all the memories take places in that fun stuff. So I do think that's been like important for me. Like the kids are going to remember that we had a ball pit in our house. They're not going to remember that I was super diligent with our 401 savings. 
I think as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm like more focused on like each person should have free will to an extent to be able to live their lives. And hopefully that goes together to like create a compatible sort of relationship that both of you are kind of growing together in. I think I would have been even more reluctant to have had a ball pit <laughs> when I was younger. It would have just been like, well, I don't want it. So no. Of course I had to ask Drew about the ball pit. We were talking on Zoom. I asked him if I could see it. Hey there. Hey, how's it going? Sorry yes. to talking to my knees. We're gonna we're going on location. Um, to, do you? Do, if you, I'll hold the phone since I'm. Uh, I'll be less. That way, I'll be less uncomfortable. While I watch, Drew climbs in. So there's many different ways you can jump in. You can just kind of fall in. You can do whatever you want. This is my this is my preferred method. Is to sort of go fall face first into the ball pit. Oh my god. Delightful. Yeah, he's gone. It does take some work getting out of it, especially if you're not a little kid. The only thing I can say is that when Drew talks about why he needed this ball pit at 40, he reminds me of Kevin Costner's character in Field of Dreams, a man telling his wife they have to turn their cornfield into a baseball diamond because a voice is telling him to. If you build it, they will come. When you first told Jenny that this is what you wanted to do, were you afraid of what her response might be? Or did you think she's going to be she's going to be supportive? I knew she was not going to be supportive, but I was not worried about it. There's nothing to fear in the ball pit. The ball pit is all love. The ball pit was always going to be. So it wasn't it wasn't an act of defiance, but it wasn't something I was worried about getting approval for. The ball pit's bigger than us. It's bigger than me and you. It's bigger than me and Jenny. Like the ball pit was just always going to be. There's the smell of plastic. There's a smell of childhood and youth in there. It's the perfect moment of zen. And it's, you know, and it's right in my office. At any moment, I can just zen out and jump into the ball pit. I asked Drew, what did it feel like to get into his own ball pit for the very first time? People have different definitions for whatever, wealth and happiness and satisfaction. For me, the ball pit is the only mark of, of, of affluence, of achievement. Everything else is just a measure of degrees. So finally achieving this dream really was just a, a, a moment of sort of, I don't know, maximum satisfaction of the, the top of Maslow's pyramid. Like th this was this was it. This was a rival for me. You know, one thing Jenny said was that your ability to embrace your need for this and the ball pit needing to be has also helped her see that some of her desires might not be hard to fulfill. This idea that she wanted an orange cat and you were like, so let's get one, where you sort of spread the positivity in terms of treat yourself. Tell me about that life philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, it should, it's, it's worth noting that, like, I do the stuff, you know, I have a responsible job and I'm, you know, and we, and we raise our children and I take care of the house and, you know, and I go grocery shopping and I, you know, we pay our bills and we pay taxes. I'm not, you know, a flaky, just doing whatever, wandering out there, following every whim. The, 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 the treat yourself mentality is, you know, is just an awareness that eventually it's all going to come to the end for all of us. And on your gravestone, are you going to say like, oh, I paid my taxes for 15 consecutive years without penalty? Like, no. 
Jenny lives her life very much by sort of an internal checklist. Like, I did all of the things. But but I do think that idea, that mentality of having some, I don't know, some abstract locus for contentment is is, is something that maybe she, she struggles with. So I, I think it does sort of open their mind to wanting something that you don't have to justify, that you couldn't possibly justify anyway. Listen, Drew has greatly benefited from Jenny's being the Toyota Corolla. So have I. She is a rock. But I also think Drew's philosophy has helped Jenny. I see it in the way she tells me to care for myself. I can absolutely see it in the way she's willing to give herself the opportunity to make more memories. It makes her a better partner and a happier one, especially when she's holding her orange cat. I hope the person I meet loves that I'm the kind of person who can be responsible, but also buys herself a cotton candy machine. I do want a Shetland pony. We might have a Shetland pony swimming in the ball pit. That I might feel be like a maybe thing. that's 50. <laughs> that's how we celebrate 50 is, is buttercup running buttercup, around. Is that what yeah. it is? When the kids are like a little bit older, I want the Shetland pony and then like a herd of goats that have old lady names. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's happening. <laughs> Tell me that our love's just begun. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Love Letters is also an advice column, so send your questions about your own relationships to loveletters at boston.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at loveletters.show. All right. I'm Jenny Krepp. I'm a 43-year-old psychologist that lives outside of Baltimore, Maryland. I live with my husband and four kids. I don't know why that sounds like the women on The Bachelor. We're like, my name is Amber. I'm a real estate agent. We do it one more time. And I'm hoping to find true love on The Bachelor. I hope I get a rose. (laughs) I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. With you, I'm a shining star in the sky. Tell me that our love is endless and stay.